This is FM Forward, a podcast brought to you by IFMA Boston. I'm your host, Jackie Fallow. If you missed the fact that we both started and finished season two, it's understandable. We let the pandemic take over. In season three, I invite you to join me as we seize the 11 core competencies of the facilities management profession by the horns and wrangle insights from real estate professionals that get real with us about leverage, learn the language of lean for solving problems and empowering people, navigate our way through the internet of things and analyze outsourcing, insourcing, and being resourceful. You won't want to miss out. I'm Jackie Fowler, and I want to welcome you to season three. Um, good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jackie Falla uh, with Elaine Construction. I'm the Director of Client Services, and I am your host for FM Forward. Um, our decision to tackle tech this past season was timely, to say the least. Um, like the FM profession itself, the implications of technology in the metaspace economy fall, if not squarely, um, at least on the periphery of the FM's purview. Time space is going to result in automation and outsourcing, microspace and 3D printing and engineered materials that have antibacterial properties. Then we have design space, play space, storage space. I can already see the sky getting crowded. It doesn't end there. We've got cyberspace, green to blue space and interspace where the construction of new nets like the internet of things will be built. Some among us will wanna blame technology for the loss of jobs for stagnating income, or for just being too complicated. But the reality is new jobs will be created and others will become extinct. I'm excited to welcome here today these tech titans who will teach us how to walk the tightrope of technological innovation. We'll invite 5G in off the street and into our businesses and homes. We'll talk smart buildings and digital twins, prefabrication, UI, UX, and what's next. So welcome James Scott, lead researcher for MIT's Real Estate Innovation Lab. Luke Lucas, senior manager of engineering business development at T-Mobile. Amy Marks, head of industrialized construction strategy and evangelism at Autodesk. I don't know who could have a better title than that. And Eric Graham, founder and CEO at Crowd Comfort. Thank you all for being here with us today. So I have a group question to start us off. I want you to talk about the ways in which you see technological innovations like hardware, software, and processes impacting employee performance and productivity. Each of you focus on something a little bit different in the tech space. So please um, feel free to take it from your um, particular area of expertise. Um, Amy, why don't we start off with you? I know that you're hot off of a big show, so you're primed to answer this question. Yeah, I think, you know, look, at the end of the day, I think there's tech that we use on a daily basis. But if that tech is not connected to one another, it's pretty useless, right? Because it's all about the data. It's not about who's using what software for what. It's how we actually aggregate the data from 
across like from concept all the way through completion, commissioning and, you know, operations of the building that feeds back into that loop again. And so, you know, I'm I'm I know that we work in an ecosystem, not an industry of many different industries that really have operated in that cash for chaos mentality for a very long time where we pay people in the silos to do work that's not really valuable to the others. And just sort of we throw a bunch of dead cats, I like to say, over the fence a lot. Yeah. And to put them back over after we redraw things or we remake things or all that rework. So I think, you know, the, the question is, you know, that person that you're putting either the mobile device in their hand or asking them to use some sort of tech for some insights. If you don't have a connected platform that aggregates that information for analytics and uses machine learning for an AI to give us predictive analysis and, you know, make buildings work autonomously, it's just, I mean, it's kind of like uh, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, as they say. It's like you got something good for the second, but it's not you're giving them a fish. You're not teaching them how to fish, I think is the best way to say it. So no one ring will ever rule them all. It's going to be data that that really is the ruler. Ooh. So I I see um, James and Luke and even Eric going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So Eric, I want you to talk about um just what amy said this data aggregating the data you created this amazing um application for fms to help manage kind of the constant barrage of requests um that take place in a workplace so yeah no thank you um and thanks for inviting me to be here today um, just picking up on what Amy said about the connection to one another, like that's where where we come in. You know, we're the, the human sensor side of this whole equation. And leading up until, you know, this time, a lot of the systems and technologies have been really very focused on the building itself and how to man manage and maintain the building. Um, what we're trying to do is capture that that human data. We are capturing that human data on behalf of about 40 Fortune 500 companies that use us as their request platform. Um, and we're, we're using that to basically validate and understand what's performing where and when. Now, we're about to enter into this giant. We, we, we went through this giant experiment last year where all of a sudden we all had to work from home in like in an instant. And now we're, we're in this period where we're moving back to this coming back into the workplace. And we don't really know how that's going to play out. What I do know is it's going to be more complex. People are going to be scheduled more and more to be in the office. They're going to have to use technology in order to do those things. Um, and they're going to be uh, more disconnected. Um, and so you know, in our in our world, we're trying to just provide that that employee data to improve their experience to know how and when to apply resources to to help them. So this presents a, an interesting technological problem, and I and I think both James and Luke are addressing this challenge um, from different perspectives. So let's jump to you next, James, because I, I want you to just give a tiny little bit of an overview of exactly what you do in the lab 
and the implications for businesses. And then we'll jump to Luke because I want Luke to um, talk us through how 5G um, is going to help smooth the re-entry process a little bit. We're, we'll dive in later. We're going to put in a holding pattern, some of the bigger implications of 5G to later, but just we'll talk for right this second about what those initial implications are going to be. So, James? Well, yeah, certainly. Um, so, to begin with, I'll just outline what the lab does. The lab is essentially, it was the, it was curated or brought, it kind of came together about six years ago. It was the brainchild of uh, Professor Dennis Frenchman and Dr. Andrea Chagou. And really what it's, um, it, it was really set out to do was really take charge of this new wave of real estate technology that we've um, been kind of so lucky to really kind of been part of over the last few years. Uh, depending on who you ask, you know, it's the kind of the, the third version of, of real estate tech, you know, with the first ones kind of in the late 80s of, you know, the likes of CoStar and even Excel. I mean, then we had the second wave of the, you know, I mean, the, the dot-com um, era, and now we have this new wave that came out of the, the great financial crisis, with along with the, the kind of the huge advancements in technology itself. You know, I mean that we've seen over the last kind of ten years. Um, what it is is really an amalgamation of the Center of Real Estate at MIT with the technological capabilities of what MIT is really, really well known for to really better understand what's taking place with all of these new, we'll call it platforms, technologies um, across the built environment. And um, with that, you know, we do an awful lot of projects, you know, trying to really trying to evaluate kind of numbers on how these technologies are really affecting us and, you know, where's the real value with them. And so with that, you know, I have a kind of a, a couple of comments I'd, I'd make to, the, to, um, to your original question, which is, which is on productivity, which I think, you know, and, and technology. And for me, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from probably a little bit more of an academic element on this than, than most. But for me, I think productivity is, is, is one of the hardest, if not, it's the, it's the holy grail. It's to be able to measure productivity within the within a space. I'm not entirely sure if it's 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 ever going to be possible to do it the way we, we would envisage or what we would hope to be able to do. But what we can do is we can curate and we can we can understand and provide the best environment possible using technology for people so that they can they can they can be as productive as possible. The reason why I say it's it's so difficult to kind of measure is because unless you're measuring. A, what a you know what what a person does and it's one particular task and it's a repetitive task over uh, you know what I mean and a finite amount of time like literally essentially the, the only real studies on this are really on on call centers because that's something that you can actually measure the amount of calls that a, people, a person takes and they're the kind of the only real scientific evidence you have but you know let's say you know a maybe possibly a billable hour job like let's say consultancy or, or, or lawyers you can you know you use that as your as your as your metric but for most of us you know what I mean our, our jobs are made up of you know of something very different. We're out meeting people, we're establishing new connections, we're trying to establish new business. We've, you know, an array of different tasks. It's very, very hard to, to, to understand. And that's, you know, different times of year versus, you know, which can be seasonal. It's very, very hard to measure that. But what I would say is that there are a number of technologies that are really exciting at the minute. The likes of what you've mentioned earlier on, digital twin, wearable technology, healthy buildings, all of those coming together really can provide something that's really special to curate and bring about something special to, to really give the occupiers of space, the optimal environment in which to be productive. And I think that's probably somewhere where, where we could probably, is the best case scenario over the next few years. I have to jump in, Jackie. Go ahead. I just, James, I just want, yep. I want to tie two things that you just said together that but for something won't work. Sure. You just said it's really hard to measure productivity because somebody's not doing the same thing in a repetitive nature over mm -hmm. and over again. And that's the holy grail, right? 
And then in the same breath, you said, what's really exciting about this is healthy buildings and digital is going to bring all this together. Yeah. It will, if you start looking at things that are repetitive in nature, like productization, like we start building these things with things that we can track and understand as products instead of like different process all the time, like every building and every piece part, the millions of pieces are different every single time. You can't have that with conventional construction. You don't build with skids with, with pumps anymore. You build with pump skids. Unless you start thinking about these buildings as chunks, which is why I love industrialized construction, not because it's just better to build in factories. Like you're basically putting an asterisk on every single job for every single activity, every single time. And just like sports, what is a record if it has an asterisk next to it is not an indicator of performance. So yeah, you could have all those things if you can do things that are repeatable, like you said, over and over again and start tracking them. But if we keep building buildings conventionally, you will never have that thing at the end like you want for digital twin and healthy buildings that act autonomously. So like, I'm just using your words. Sure, I okay. want that Amy, too. I'm gonna, I'll, come, I'll, come, I'll come back in on Amy. Yeah. Amy, are you saying productivity is measurable? I think in certain circumstances, of course. Like, So, so, you're, so you're agreeing with the first point that I made. Second of all, okay, so you are, you're, you're agreeing with me. All right. So the second right. point, you're talking about construction. Construction is completely different to the space optimization for the people that work in it, which is a very different thing. I it's know. OK, so you're agreeing with me on that one. So there's nothing yeah, to do with construction. One thing. We don't spend any time on how those people interact in those spaces. because You have architects drawing fire stairs. So like your beauty of the end user environment spends people spend very little time talking about productivity in that environment because they're busy drawing stuff they shouldn't because you can buy those things and they draw them anyway. So, so what? So what's your point? My point is, like, we can't say, like, you need re re repeatability and then be like, all these things will get you that. No, no one, no one said like, anything like, about repeatability. I'm it, talking about academic studies are the only things that are based off how you can measure productivity. Why? Why is that so? Why can't it be in real life? Because we are doing things differently for every single building every single time. If we weren't, you could study that just like anything else. You're 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 putting two things together. I mean, that are not right. And. Okay. You're getting a little bit irate about it as well, which is. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not irate. Please okay. don't say that I'm irate. You're I'm not shouting. Not I, I find it irate. Okay. Um, not irate. That's how, that's how women speak when okay. we're passionate and excited. We raise our voices. We get okay. Excited. Yeah. Okay. You're talking so, about the construction. Yeah. You're, you're talking about construction of buildings. All right. And then we're talking about product, pro productivity. Uh, I'm also talking about both. I talked about both, actually. And I'm not irate. Okay. I, I'm actually okay. offended by that comment. Sorry. I'm sorry yeah, if you feel a comment. It's interesting if I may, I mean, we're trying to bridge between the physical, like the building of a, of space and then what, what actually happens in the occupancy of it, right? Which yeah. is like, they're, they're like such different worlds. It's, it's really? although this, this concept of the digital twin, I think is awesome because the digital twin is the digital image of the building being built and at some level, hopefully operated. I mean, the BIM models and the, the, the design models that are done are often just, once the building is built, they're, they're gone. They're, they're no longer used really by anyone except they want to look back at something. Um, there's an opportunity, I think, with the digital twin to start looking forward and seeing how the building operates. And, and from our perspective at Crowd Comfort, it's about the human experience that, that people are having in that space that then speak to the next design and help you provide data to like, how do you build it better the next time? Yeah, um, I, agree. I agree with that completely. Yeah, you can't figure out if it's better, if it's different every single time. That's my point. So like, I actually do agree. And that, you know, 
we don't spend enough time understanding, by the way, I think productivity is a result of how that building is built in and the environment. I was talking to a friend of mine that builds pet stores, not one, thousands. And he's like, I want my architects to think about how the end user experience of what they buy and if they're safe and if they feel good and if their pet feels good. What architect, you know, has time to talk about that right now? All the things that James is talking about of end user productivity, basically, and whatever, the feelings of the people in the building. We don't have any time for that because that architect is trying to figure out how to make a wall right now. And if they were utilizing things that were product based instead of like process based, you'd have a lot more time to put those products in generative design and actually set parameters of safety and feeling good in the space. And if they want to spend money in the space and if their pet's perspective is good. But like you can't have any of those productivity things and spend much time on many of those things because we build buildings differently every single time. And architects are actually trying to stick and brick it every time. Most of them, not all, but the ones that recognize that these two things are directly tied to one another, if you make it so. But when we talk about automating things, that's where the exciting changes come in because we can start to eliminate many of those repetitive tasks um, to automation, just strip them out of the process, right? And then that allows us to elevate to an entirely different level when we can start to investigating things. Free ourselves to ideate, in other words, to look at you know, bigger problems. And I think that's what makes this new economy so exciting. Um, and I love that you are all so passionate about this. I mean, who wants to listen, listen to a boring old podcast um, let's get into the details. Let's debate it because that's where change happens. Yes. It doesn't happen when people are apathetic about it. So don't be afraid to have dialogue and let's just do it respectfully. Yes. Let's get you into this conversation. I bet you're dying to have an argument about 5G. Talk to me. Out on right. the West Coast, I hope we're not having a delay. Luke's coming. No all the way from California. So welcome. And, and actually I'm, I'm in Seattle this week, but um, from the West coast, um, you know, I, I think productivity in our minds equals connectivity. We, we've learned that through COVID. We, we've learned that through crisis. Um, and we know that the office environment, when we return to office, we call it RTO at T-Mobile. When we return to the office, it's going to be a more fluid environment. It's going to be a more mobile environment and, and businesses and individuals are all related centrically to decision-making intelligence data. We, we do it ourselves personally in our own minds, in our shopping habits, in, in our work environment, in our collaboration and all these things. So connectivity now has really been brought to the forefront. If we're talking about, change in the architecture world we really need to have the architects and the builders focus on making sure that there's a plethora of connectivity available and how do we do that simply regardless of the g in technology we're, we're going to talk a little bit about 5g today but we're going to still be living with 4g and that's still going to be our voice 4G. side 4g uh, nothing going on 4G is going to be continuing to be our voice platform, your okay. text platform. And, 
And the data piece on the 5G is really going to be the enabler that is going to take people to a new level. And when they go back to the office, we're going to see 5G being introduced in some of the ways that we've known, push to talk communications, uh, compliance and regulatory is probably going to be on our minds. We're going to see it in security enhancements because maybe Luke, going back to T-Mobile, I don't have access to maybe all the floors because we're coming out of the pandemic. But maybe okay, over so time. That for us, Luke. Talk to us about what the security implications are going to be as it relates to 5G. Well, 5G literally is just going to be the enabler. 5G is going to be that platform for people to use sensors and software that will allow us to do different things in our new environment as we emerge back to the office. Okay. And so 5G is widening the road. If we use the car analogy, and I like to use that, yeah. you know, people are used to maybe driving on four lanes of highway with a divider. If that, if that roadway went to eight lanes, and if we also then switched and said, if we're traveling on those roadways, if our speedometer doubled in speed, what could we do with that? Now, certainly in a vehicle, we would think of safety first in that speed. But in the airwaves, we don't have that concern because speed creates simplicity, creates an environment of that engagement in faster real time. And that is the enabler that 5G is bringing. So we'll still have 4G for a while. Wi-Fi still has a place. And we're going to see introductions of new technology space which is like the private networking opportunity for the business environment, also known as CBRS. Okay. The greatest gift to real estate from the federal government, CBRS. All right. Well, we're, put the CBRS into a holding pattern. We'll dive into that in a little bit. Um, James, I want you to talk to me about what you and your colleagues are doing at the lab that you think is you know, if you could identify the biggest tech trend that you're seeing in the real estate industry or the one that you think really is the most exciting, what would it be? Uh, I kind of think those two different questions. I mean, you know, definitely what the most exciting thing that we're seeing is, and you know, this has been going on for 10, 15 years, but it definitely is the, it's the digitization of an industry that maybe wasn't as at the forefront of other digitization processes um, as we've seen over the few years, over the last few years. And I think that's extremely exciting because, you know, real estate is an industry into itself. And we, we're everyone, you know, I mean, that I work with is just so excited about seeing the advancement because the technologies that come with it are just so incredible. Like even what Luke is talking about there with, with 5G, the, the advancement of, let's say, just a simple, not a simple concept, but the, of, the internet of things and what we're going to see over the next 10 years with the new technologies that will be developed and that haven't even been thought of yet because of the ability of 5G is just going to be absolutely spectacular. And that's that's a really, really exciting um, place to be right now. And um, as for what we're doing out of the lab, some of the most really interesting things have been the, the value of design project, which you know has been led, which is really special because it's really trying to put a value on certain elements of design, be it, you know, how, how strong lighting is, how strong you know, uh, on a value proposition, the, the use of space, uh, greenery, 
um, you know, height, you know, certain aspects of views, you know, all of these things coming together, which work towards, you know, the construction of the building and really kind of trying to put a, a value metric on that and seeing how, see, seeing how valuable they really are, which is, you know, that's pretty, pretty exciting as well. All right. So when I, I just like to follow up with that, when we talk about value and kind of eking value out of real estate, somebody that you know, but I don't, uh, coined the phrase, the fracking of the real estate industry, right? Yeah. So explain to us how breaking down real estate into components um, extracts greater value for the owner of the real estate. Um. And if I've gotten it yeah. wrong, just rearrange it. Yeah, I'll, I'll rearrange it a little bit. I think what he meant by that, of, I mean, and it goes back to the digitization of the industry. For a lot of people that work within real estate, especially over the last 20, 20 odd years, there hasn't been a huge amount of change in what they've done because, you know, they've been earning money. It's like, let's say, bar the, you know, the great financial crisis, sort of that time period. But people have been doing something that works and they've been able to earn money from it and they know their job inside out. So, you know, why try to fix something if it ain't broken? So what they what did for me the digitization is actually delving into that and putting a figure on of and utilizing the data that that was there originally that and actually extracting that data to be able to better to better understand what's taking place. Um, a great kind of example of this. Aha. Hmm? I said aha. Well, a kind we're, of a, we're going yeah. from that big data to getting a little smarter with it. A little bit smarter, and a kind of a, an example I sometimes use in this is real estate development. If you take real estate developers as a whole, now, you know, there's obviously much, much bigger ones out there, you know, I mean, the, on a grand kind of, you know, federal across the United States. But most real estate developers, they, they, know, their, they know their neighborhood extremely well. They've been working in this game for, you know, 20, 30 years. They've built up an incredible amount of knowledge. They know every site, they know the price, you know, the price point in construction, you know, I mean, the price per square foot on every single aspect of, of, of their game. But they don't necessarily know that outside of their, their neighborhood or the, the area that they work in. And while this and this can be, you know, this, you know, this can be an argument, you know, as to whether this is good or not. But what real estate data and what digitization really means is that it's a little bit like Google. You know, when you used to be able to have a conversation with someone and you know, you used to be able to throw a statistic out there and no one could come back on you on it. Now, you know, what I mean, the problem, you know, what I mean, that you are or the guy or the person you're talking with can throw the statistic back at you because they can look something up on Google and it brings that level of knowledge to to, to a much higher point. Well, that's 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 we're seeing a huge amount of that in the minute as well, in that. All of this information allows a far greater amount of people understand what's taking place. And what that does for a lot of people is, and where we're seeing a lot of value, is that it creates transparency. You know, I mean, even over the last few years with understanding what the price point of, you know, I mean, of sales records, of, of, of rental leases, you know, that really that, that helps the market and it helps you get a much better gauge. And it brings the, the kind of the bottom level up to a much, much higher point. Maybe not necessarily at the highest point of, of, of expertise, like I mean, like a real estate developer who, who knows the rarity inside out. But it gives you a far greater level of knowledge across a far greater playing field, if that makes any sense. It does. So, you know, I'm going to segue from the asset into the actual construction because, A, that's my world and I love it um, and hate it all at the same time. Um, It is entirely unpredictable, um, except for in its consistently being unpredictable. Um, It is. It, it is mind-boggling and frustrating, and you know we are um, at a real 
pivotal point here because the pandemic has forced us into realizing um, how broken the industry is and how desperate uh, for change it is. Um, and so, you know, Amy, I want you to, to talk with us a little bit about, you know, industrialized construction and the ways in which this approach can squeeze more value out of the process. You touched on it a little bit. Yeah. No people have been resistant to it. I want to talk about that resistance and how we might get them to sure. see that there will be on there will be money, there will be profit on the other side of this fence if they just push through it. Well, I mean, like I feel badly for James Scott, who obviously thinks, you know, I'm angry and irate, but unfortunately you put me right after him. So I'm going to have to address some of his, you know, microaggressions about me. So the um, I know you're from MIT. You should know better. But here's the thing. You know, you talked about digitization. I'm glad you're laughing, James. I am, too. It's good. Let's be good sports about it when we call it out. So here you go. Digitization for digitization's sake isn't going to give you anything. 100 percent agree. Like, good. So at least we go there because digitizing bad process and automating bad process is just going to give you more scrap faster, more bad data quicker. Right. So like at the end of the day, the problem is I don't think we've identified what good data actually is like. It so it would, only, it would only allow you to solve problems that don't exist. A hundred percent. So unfortunately, we're such a design led ecosystem. Like we've talked this is real estate. We've talked more about architects in the first 20 minutes than I would ever expect. Shockingly. Right. Like crazy. And by the way, love architects. Always, James, I'm an equal opportunity offender, apparently, in the space. So don't worry. So here you go. Like at the end of the day. Digitization means nothing if you can't productize and understand productization to attach some numbers to get. And I don't mean the wall panel. I mean, the physicality of something you want to put an IoT sensor on it and the digitization and productization of that workflow attached to it from concept to completion. And I think you only get good digitization when you can actually understand how things are actually made. And most architects, I will tell you, my friend Stan Chu from Gensler just said, you're right, Amy. We don't know how every piece part is manufactured best because we're architects. We need to be product led. The future is product led, not design led. It's going to free my friend Stan up, as he says, to take those products and set parameters and use optimized tools like generative design and understand digital twin from those piece parts. So he can actually be freed up to spend all the time on all those things that we just talked about are great for the end user that he doesn't have time for now. So like, I think digitization is part of it, but only if you attach that to good process and productization so we can use tools to optimize these things, you know, like crowd comfort. So in my hand, I can get that information, connect the data, get it to the front of the process. Like anyone in our tech centers that are working in Boston on connective tissue of all this data, right? You need foundational skills and tools first, and my friend Sal at Microsoft, here's the other thing I believe, James. I don't think anyone in like who owns one building in one town is going to change anything. Unfortunately, they're going to be really smart to get some data. But the way you create change in an ecosystem that's very fractured, like all this fracking that's gone on is from top down. So my, you know, my professor Clayton Christensen had it somewhat right. He had totally right for industries, but totally wrong for an ecosystem of a lot of industries that work in disparate silos. We need top down pressure from the real estate owners that own the most properties 
That's the guys that want ladies that want the most data and that need data sovereignty that see the most benefit from digital twin so they can track many assets. So those people, those serial owners, like serial killers, but I know offensive, but more like, you know, they want consistency and certainty. They're not beating somebody down for 2% on like their tile number, right? They, these people need certainty over many geos and they're building their buildings. They're thinking about productization in their playbooks now because they can't get consistency, which is where IC comes into play. It's decoupled this and they find partners where they can make these buildings and pieces of it into equipment, right? Even though it looks like the building still. And they need those pieces and parts and that playbook to dictate certainty because that's more important to them than the two and a half percent or point point zero zero five percent. And they need the data of those things to make better decisions, right? And that data sovereignty and they need to understand we can't keep making buildings in real estate like we made a shell just because we get paid first for that. And then you sort of poche my friends that are architects know what that word means. It means take that space and pour water in it. And that's all the MEP systems. Those days are over. You want to have sustainability and scalability. You have to decouple those complicated things from the 50-year lifespan. I don't buy phones when they say that phone will last for 50 years, that tech. I would be like, that's garbage. I don't even want that phone. But somehow <laughs> we buy buildings where that tech is supposed to last me for 50 years. And we go, yum, yum, feed me more. That's ridiculous. Nobody buys tech that lasts for 50 years. We build buildings that have tech integrated that aren't scalable or decouple or even think about circularity or reuse. We do it every day. And that single owner is never going to change anything. It will only be the serial owners that top down will make the biggest impact from the beginning. Jack, yeah, I, I, I'll just step in here. I actually agree completely with Amy on this 100%. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. one of the like, most kind of that the, the, the how they put it. I don't want to say sad is probably the wrong word, but you know, over the last few years, there's only been a few companies that have had that sort of level of vision that Amy was talking about. One of them was Katera. You know, certainly with their original vision. I totally vision, disagree, for the record. But keep going. I I, I thought. I mean, their original vision was something along the lines of what Amy was talking about. It it changed over the few years because you know things got like I mean, but that was their original vision. To They're do not a serial owner, by the way. That no, was they, no, they're, they're not a serial owner, but it was, that was trying a disruptor to... that came in and they don't even do commercial buildings, by the way. They were doing uh, garden apartments. That's that's where they ended up doing. But their original vision when they started six years ago, I mean, yeah, I know they called. I, I, I knew the money guys in the beginning. So like, here you go. So at the end of the day, that is a we have lots of serial owners today, actually, that are doing this now. They are the digital infrastructure leads. They're the manufacturing customers. They're the healthcare customers that are in more than one geo. They're guys that have the heavy MEP where all the money is. And there are a lot of the commercial real estate guys that recognize that they're going to have to have reuse for these buildings, that these buildings won't be the same. So I disagree. I would not put Katera in any of those categories that would have made any change. So I feel like one company will never disrupt. I don't care if you're Facebook or Amazon or Google or my, none of them by themselves. You need a lot of them to embrace what's happening to and technology, which is why I came to Autodesk. I, I totally disagree with the Katera statement. I apologize, but that's my you, 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 well. you, you don't you don't think that that was their vision when they started there? Not, no. no. I'm okay. sorry. You don't come into an industry of an ecosystem, an ecosystem industries and say, you're doing everything wrong. We know better. Sorry, that doesn't work. Like, I apologize, but like, you will not have one company. No one's big enough to disrupt this ecosystem by telling us all we don't know what we're doing. That could be true, but you're not going to make any friends. 
And therefore you will never succeed in a place where you have lots of different people that affect lots of change in lots of different areas here. I yeah, don't we'll see Amy, somebody like uh, Boston Properties, for instance, who is, you know, a good local player here in Boston. They own lots of buildings. They are fairly tech savvy, right? So I see them as being kind of, I mean, at least yeah. they, at least they're vocal about it. Yeah, agreed. And, and, and Brookfield Very vocal about it. Brookfield, Brookfield, Brookfield for sure. Brookfield, like, Brookfield acquired Wireless Infrastructure Group recently. Now they have an arm focused on technology. Amy, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, the Rudens, the Rudens are very aggressive. So, Silverstein, we, we, yeah, a Silverstein. I yeah. mean, there's a number of them, and you know, we give them a prescription of four items. James already knows this. Amy, I don't know if you've heard this, but to enable technology and energy to keep your building on the cutting edge, the technology is always going to update. And to your point, Amy, that the device that Apple or Samsung sold you or another manufacturer sold you is going to change. But if you've upscaled your power, we know technology needs power. If you have extra conduits with pull strings, plenty of them when the walls are open for remodel or new build, when you have plenty of fiber in excess of what you or your architect think is reasonable by over fiber, and when you're pulling CAT6 or whatever successor, the CAT6, your building is enabled now for any technology because why? All of those four elements in a utility, and wireless is now a utility, are enabled by the devices that are at the end of those four elements. So that's my doctor's prescription. I don't have an MD or a PhD, but I will write that prescription today because that's what the state needs to plan for. And they need to have a wireless master plan, just like all the other plans. And when the architects ask the developers, what's your wireless master plan? I know the deer in the headlights is gonna pop up. I know they're gonna go, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to have to hire a consultant. I don't know. We'll have to get a third party involved. But if you're we have those four elements, you're absolutely they, will, right. they will be able to go from G to G to G in 20, 30, 40 years, just like electricity was the enabler, water, sewer, gas was the enabler. If the property's got it, the appraiser's happy, the tenants are happy, the user experience is dynamic. But if you don't have those utilities, we also know that I'm probably going to just drive right by, even with my broker saying, Luke, that's a great property. I'll say, it's not a great property. Right. And all of the FMs that are listening should take note that that is going to be the fifth utility. And we all can probably agree that most of the buildings out there are not enabled and we'll need to do that. And that is going to largely fall on the FM for starting to to begin to understand how to develop those plans. But thank goodness for, for folks like these real estate titans because they are being very vocal about the changes yes. that they are making and others will follow as a result. Now I'm just gonna take- Can I ask a question, Jackie, of Luke? Can I ask a question, Jackie? Yes, somebody else has a question too, though. We have I love that. I love okay. that. And I think what you just said is part of the owner's playbook that they can then carry with them forward, right? It's yes. like- that's part of this owner's playbook of how they deal with data, how they deal with the, you know, the infrastructure that you fifth, you know, your, your fifth utility. I love all that. I'm curious, like, is that 
potentially scalable. Like, you know, I built data centers. You may or may not know that about me in the past. I love data centers. So like data center, yeah, I'm not just a girl that does wall panels. So like at the end of the day, <laughs> so at the end of the day, like, yeah. And also things like semiconductor and manufacturing. I know it's sort of simple stuff, but like at the end of the day, are some of those things scalable? Like I will, I'm asking, I don't know the answer to this because this is your, what you're great at. And I think it's like, you know, data centers don't need to put all the power in on day one. They can scale, if, especially if they're looking at productization and things like I see, they yeah. can scale power, they can scale cooling, they can scale capacity. Because if it comes, great, then they can scale. If it never comes, they never spent the money up front. Is it possible with the five, with those things you mentioned? Is that, is that, is it in there that it's potentially, and by the way, or if it swaps and all of a sudden, maybe we go to Google X now and we're shooting, we don't need fiber underground. Now we're going in the sky from balloon to balloon. And like, maybe that happens in suitcases. Like what, what is scalable in that? Anything or everything? I'm just, I don't know the answer, which is why I'm asking. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's part of pre-planning, Amy and Jackie. I think it's part of pre-planning. You know. Can we rack it? Can we put it in a rack and bring it into the building? Well, I, I think from a power perspective, it's working with your local power company to say what is capable. Do they have, you know, transformers in the area? Do you need to have a transformer on site that has a larger capability than what the project requires today on paper? Build in these aspects that are expandable, just like we phase projects, just like we build tenant improvements. We build the shell of the building. We put all the basics in it. We bring the offsites onto site. We do all these things and then we wait for the brokers to go, here's tenant X and their requirements are Y. And then we go, great, I provision for those things. And so, you know, really, Amy and Jackie, I think it's it's provisionable. It's it's having that future vision. It's making sure there's availability. Now, if I under underscore the power request with my local power company, shame on Luke for doing that. And we do that sometimes with our cell sites. We will then have to go back and say, hey, now that we're modernizing the cell site or the data center, our switch locations, we need to upscale the power. And what do they say? Luke, two-year backlog. Oh, and by the way, where's your checkbook? Because it's going to be expensive. And if I only would have done that as a provision up front. Big owners um, vertically integrate uh, because then they can control the the process. Um, I'm not sure, however, that... Uh, the building in redundancy um, is is the solution. It, it, that stuff makes me bananas because I want things to be more efficient and less expensive. That's that's what I want. Um, but I have to take. We have a question or multiple questions from the audience, and I love how great this discussion is. But we've got to get to them. So, Janessa, can you share with me uh, what's out there? That was just me. Asking if anyone had a question. Oh, we don't have any questions. We don't. Have, are Are you sure out there in the audience there are no questions? <laughs> There's got to be something that you're like Some, trying to know. Something must have percolated somewhere. Well, and the other thing um, we want you to know, if you had maybe you're just coming to this conversation, but each of these folks, um, short of James, have had their own full podcast. Um, so a lot of the details. We're kind of going next level. So if you want to dig into any of the ins and outs of what everyone is talking about, please check out their individual podcasts. I'd, I'd well. like to, to jump in. Please do her. Don't have questions. I mean, I, I'm bringing it back to productivity. Um, in, in real estate, 
utilization is a proxy for uh, productivity in a lot of ways. The more people you can actually have occupy a space, the more valuable that space becomes. And we've just gone through this huge experiment where we all went to remote work. Um, the question of what is the purpose of the workplace and the office is going to be a huge thing. But everything we're talking about, the backdrop is, is Moore's law, right? There, the, the more capacity that can be put on a square inch or square millimeter of a circuit chip is actually directly correlated to um, the amount of people per square foot in real estate. And what you're going to see is this, I think you're going to see the value of buildings being driven by the fact that we're now going to be going to largely where that one seat, and I know we've been talking about distancing, right, in the offices. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an effect. I think that effect will change, will relax over time. But what is going to happen is that one seat is now on average going to be occupied by three people when it used to be occupied by one. And um, this is, this is not, this, I, I, I call this Graham's law. It's more of an observation than a law on top of Moore's law, but there is a direct correlation between those two things. And all of this is going on in the backdrop. So what Luke and what T-Mobile is bringing to the table is, is a new way to deliver capability that is happening in the background. And what's gonna happen is when that happens, it's like a blank canvas. All of a sudden, our human innate entrepreneurial ability will start to develop new use cases and things that will change so many things going forward. And um, I'm excited. I, mean, I think this, this whole, this new experiment of going back into the office is gonna be amazing. It's gonna be, you know, the fact that we were able to go back and go completely remote in so many of our jobs and roles was a was a tribute to this Moore's law that's been happening the whole time. It's just real estate has been behind. Real estate has always been a laggard in terms of adopting new things. But um, this kind of we we kind of but they're going to have to. They're going. We're at we're we're at an injunction or an inflection point here, and they are going to have to for so many reasons. And and Eric, I love what you're talking about is kind of this being forced to innovate, right? The pandemic forced us to innovate. Tell, tell the folks here what you did with your technology during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, so we, we geolocate. You don't make it sound like you only wrote like two lines of different code. Make it sound right. more complicated. Well, yeah, so what we do, as we, we, our core products around employee requests, we geolocate and auto route their requests right to the right people and software systems on the back end, which sets up an instantaneous response, which we all want. And then we rate the experience at the end. So you get qualitative data, like how was that service provided, performed? So, so that's what we do. Now, we, we, when, when the pandemic happened, obviously no, no one was in the workplace or many of our clients you know, we have we have many bio, biopharma clients that were making vaccines and they were fully occupied, but many other clients were working remotely. So we thought, how could we how could we leverage this platform? We built a, a cleaning map solution so we could visualize what's been cleaned where and when in real time, which turns out no one had actually done before. 
Um, and then, you know, we could apply that to, uh, to your air filter changes and upgrades and air filter, air filter systems, which then just, just helps, you know, from our perspective, we're trying to improve that employee's experience. So giving them that transparency, that data about these things that are so transparent, they're so opaque that they don't know about, um, just make it, make it very accessible, very transparent. I think it's fantastic. And we talked a lot about productivity. And that gets to the heart of productivity. When you can track exactly what's happening, um, then you start to have that that data available to you, right? Jackie, can I ask uh, Eric a quick question? Sure. Is that okay? I'm just, I'm just, I'm. This is out of pure, just trying to figure this out myself. Like over the next few years of what you're talking about with the the space utilization within 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 the building, you know, as as let's say we, we try to figure out you know, using that particular same amount of space and using three people instead of one. Do you, and as we try to figure that out, do you think the value of, of, of office space will go down? Like, I mean, or do you think it will be a... a, a, a okay. I think it goes up because you're, at, you know, dividing the cost of three people instead of the cost on one person, right? So all of a sudden, that the value goes up. In my, in my opinion, you can spend more for that space, for the amenities, that space, for the technology that delivers the experience in that space, because now you're serving three people. Maybe you're serving five people. You know, maybe that seat is, you know, one day it's one person. Maybe it's 10. Maybe it's like half a day you're in the office. This is where it's going to get back to the purpose, right? What is the workplace there for? Yeah. And I think productivity is one, but I think health is, is a huge one. Psychological health and cultural health of the organization are also like huge things that are, that's the, like, why, why do we get together in person in the first place? Right. Yeah, but you know, some of those spaces, we, what about society? Yeah, Jackie, I have a quick question for yeah. you, like uh, for that, uh, and a statement maybe, but like, you know, five people is not better than one if the space and the productivity is not good for five people, depending on what they're doing, right? In that space, like sometimes you need a space for one if I work in a space and people don't want to hear me talking all day, it makes it very unproductive, right? Like, so I said, that was a half joke. People should laugh. But like, you know, it depends on what you're supposed to be doing in that space that makes it productive. And I think one of the interesting things the pandemic has happened, both in building these buildings and in occupying them, our privacy uh, and our expectation of privacy is very different now than it was a year and a half ago, right? So like, I remember a year and a half ago when I would be in Singapore and they're like, yeah, we put biometrics on everybody walking in and out of these jobs and facial recognition. And they were like, you'll never have that ever in the United States. The year. You'll never let you track who's on site. Well, now they will. Like they did it all of a sudden as soon as the pandemic happened, we needed to track who's on site and we do tracing. And all. So I think our notion of what's acceptable in tracking the experience of either the worker when it's being built or in place, my heart rate, I'm happy, I'm not happy, I'm talking loud, it's hard for me to work, I'm there, I'm effective or not. Like, that's a whole new ballgame now. And I think it's only, again, depending on your ethics and what you believe, like whether or not you think it's right or wrong, I will leave that to other people. But the data you can get from that is amazing. And like, people have been getting that data in other countries about these spaces for many years, but in the United States, is that I work globally, by the way, in the United States, we've been so privacy centric, like you can't, you know, we have biometric technology, you know, uh, you can sense if my heart rate goes up, my temperature, all that, but like that would never be accessible until now. And so like, what does that open up for the cool stuff you're talking about for these spaces and productivity? And it's never going away. And I don't think so, but I don't I'd like to, I'd like to just, I just want to clarify one thing I said. So in terms of the value of real estate, I think. 
then this readjustment period will will be a, a drain on value. It'll it'll hurt value in the short term. I think over the long term, it's going to drive real estate values higher. That's that's the way I, I think about it. Yeah, I, I'm just curious. Like, I mean, it's it's not like hot desking didn't exist before the the, the pandemic. You know, what I mean, and where you know, it, which is you know, kind of a much more you know, let's call it an analog idea of this. But I don't think I've ever met an. Um, a user of a hot desk that enjoyed it or I, I felt was, you know, was bounded to the culture of the company or wanted to be part of that. Like, I mean, if anything, like, I mean, it was the exact opposite. So, you know, does that have an effect on the productivity of the people within the, the space as well? Like, I mean, in a, it probably in a negative way. I, I'm, I'm only asking the question. Yeah. I, I think it's going to. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have 8,600 people at our headquarters in Bellevue, Washington. 600 of them are engineering. I'm part of that group. We fall now into three buckets, James. We fall into a, a full-time person coming back to the office just four days. Then it breaks down to two days or three days. That's the flexible group. Luke Lucas is part of that. And then we have a mobile group. Those people can only come to the office when they're asked to come to the office for general all-hands meetings and so on. We've had several discussions since our leadership revealed that a month ago, that say the collaboration most likely will be broken down and, and hurt. And that it may be more of a scheduling component to get that back into the workplace, even for the four-day folks. I'll be only there Tuesday and Thursday. So I'll be very you know centric to scheduling people with Tuesday, Thursdays in mind, or trying to get them to come to the office on Tuesday, Thursday but I do think it's going to be harmful. And even, even before the pandemic, we leased a whole bunch of extra space to expand based on our anticipated merger of April 2020, last year of Sprint, making us number two carrier. With all that said, once we spaced everybody out, we still don't have enough space. So I do think it will just diminish the space because several people have sub, you know, put their space back on the market for sublease. It may be good for us because we'll expand into that while we space everybody out, but we're slowly going to have to bring people back. If not, we're still going to be broken or at least adopting to the new way. But that, Just hot, like after desk, that hot desk comment is a great comment, right? So it's like, it, we're not just making hot desks now. Like we're not like everyone goes to a hot desk. I mean, like interestingly, you don't know this, but I just came back from a show, a conference, the first one since pandemic for me. 650 people in person in a conference in Dallas, Texas, 650 face-to-face -face people in a conference for owners, architects, engineers, uh, manufacturers, subcontractors wow. in a room. South, Amy. What? It was the South. Yes, it was Texas. I mean, like that's even different than the South, but like, and 300 or 250 on online at the same time, hybrid. So yeah. if you think about it, like, you know, I, I guess it's not your grandma's hot desk. You know what I mean? Like to say it like that, like you, you're going to Lucas, like, and I'm sure like, I, again, I'm not in space planning at Autodesk because I, I don't do that, but I know they have all these conversations I listen to as a senior leader and a vice president. But like, you know, you can't think the hot desk that used to be is what you're serving these people now. Even like me, I used to have an office. I don't need one anymore. By the way, I think so many people thought I could never be as effective, uh, not in an office. I did 88 keynotes worldwide since the last 14 months, I could have never flown to all those places. Right. I could have never met with all the customer briefings I did. But with that said, I had a very different experience. People actually said they barely recognized me on stage because 
I'm walking, I'm talking. It's very, and then when I'm in meetings, I don't feel like I'm being recorded all the time. So I can speak a little bit shockingly, James, more authentically, right? Like, <laughs> there you go. Like more, more passion, more passion, more, more passion. passion. And by the way, where I can put my hand on somebody and they feel like I'm calming them while I talk to them about change. Right. So like at the same time, it's like, I don't think the notion of hot desk is like hot desk anymore. Right. Like Eric, I mean, Graham's law has to be like, it's totally redefined. Like I'm not going to a hot desk. When I go back to Autodesk, I need a space that is my hot desk space that is made differently for somebody like me. And even the people that go back and work collaboratively, the spaces need to be completely different than what we imagined them in the pre- in the previous world, right? Like, yeah. I'm asking, not telling. Iterating in in design and workplace, um, it it's forever changing, and <laughs> and I, and you know, I personally have been back to the office for a a year. I think that the the companies, the businesses that have um, have data analytics. And analysts are already saying the productivity isn't there. Like they can say it either with their smart data or they can say it because they have the feeling that that's true. But as soon as it starts to hit the bottom line, we're going to see yet another iteration roll out. And I think that's okay. That's that's good for us. I think it's great for us. I can't believe we're already past um, the one o'clock hour. Um, this has been such an incredible and dynamic conversation, and I I love the heat around it. We need to get hot about what's happening in real estate. We need to continue um, to, to push forward change, and we're not going to do that um, if we don't care about it. So I want to thank you all so, so much for being here with me today. I honestly think we could be talking about so many more things. We didn't even get into the green to blue and how buildings are going to be sustainable because we're going to grow benches from nothing. We're just going to start growing the stuff in the lab. And it's to me crazy and amazing. And maybe we'll make that a whole nother series and session. Um, Thank you. Thank you all for being here. Keep continuing to do this incredible work. You're all so smart and so engaged. And on behalf of IFMA, I can't thank you enough for being with us today. We want to thank you for listening today. Visit ifmaboston.org slash podcast to see all of the show notes and any resources discussed in the episode. I'm your host, Jackie Falla, and this is FM Forward, where if you're an FM, buildings are assets, and it's your job to keep people happy, or at least happily working. Until next time.